Hi, I'm Ben Richardson, founder of KumiteCoach.com. This is the Kumite Coach podcast where we talk about karate, competitive sport of Kumite, and the fighter's journey. Okay, guys, welcome to another edition of the Kumite Coach podcast. We're really excited today to have Joe Long with us, a former um, Kumite fighter himself, but also one of the UK's top promoters in business men involved in combat sports so welcome joe thanks for being here with us could you um just hey ben thanks for having me on oh pleasure pleasure um would you just be able to tell our audience a little bit about how you started out in combat sports um and some of like the highlights or earlier earlier parts of your career in that area yeah sure i i uh I started training when I when I was around about seven years of age uh, with Tiki Donovan with Ishinru uh, Karate Club, which was at that time was you know probably one of the strongest clubs in de- definitely in the UK and probably Europe if not the world. And uh, I, I had a number of international, you know, national, British, European, and world championships to to look up to uh, growing up. So uh, I was kind of like the baby of that club and, and see like all, all, all the greats, you know, who, who fought for Britain who used to come to the club. So I was very lucky that, that I, I knew and I met all of them individuals from a very young age and they kind of nurtured me, you know, growing up within the club. Uh, Back, back then, everyone used to know me as Joey because I was like little little Joey. Uh, Joe Francis was then, you know, European champion or whatever. So there was two Joes in the club and it was, you know, he was Joe and I was like known as little Joey. So some, some of the uh, some of the people from, from that club still still call me Joey to this day. And people are like, did he just call you Joey? And it's like, that's kind of where it, where it comes from. Uh, so, yeah, I was very lucky. To, to be around such great athletes and, and karateka and uh, a great coach, obviously, in Tiki Donovan. And uh, then I, when I was, I think I got to 17. Yeah, I was 17. And uh, I actually won my first national championship for the seniors. So uh, I, I fought uh, Eddie Gillespie in the final. It was very boring final. <laughs> I think it, it oh, went yeah. down to, to 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 last to score, uh, or first to score. I beg your pardon. And uh, but my my first heavyweight national title, I was seventeen for the seniors, which I think is still. Uh, I don't know if anyone's beat that since. I, I think Leon Walters won fairly young, but I don't think he was seventeen. But uh, so that that was my first national title when I was seventeen. And then won a number of national titles, British titles. And um, then I also got a bronze medal with the team in, in Europe. And unfortunately, fell short of, of world honours uh, in 19, I think it was 1996 or 97. I decided to start to work for myself and had to kind of make a decision uh, whether I, I focus on, on work um, at a young age, I think it was like 22, 22, 23 at the time, yeah. whether I focus on work or do do karate and, and not have no money. <laughs> so, it, you know, like everyone was, you know, who was, you know, competing, they either had sponsorships or 
or you know their work was very forgiving but uh i chose to work within sports management and, and sports development and sports events and uh unfortunately at that time it wasn't as forgiving as maybe some people who was on like the national team who worked for the bt at the time or yeah. you know some of the bigger blue chip blue chip companies at, at that time or for the newspapers which was a big big thing around that time um so I, I made a decision to to actually stop competing. I also had very bad injuries. Yeah. Uh, my knees was really bad. Uh, so I, I was selected to fight in the World Games. And that would have been my first world event uh, as the heavyweight. But that was then under Vic Charles. So I, I got selected by Vic. Uh, it was a couple of years after Tiki had left the, the squad. Uh, got selected to fight. Uh, for in, uh, for Britain in, in, or, or England in, in the World Games in uh, Brazil and then left work and had to sort of come to a T-junction really, yeah. carrying quite a bad injury. So I chose, you know, chose work, but still to be involved within the sport. And uh, ironically, you know, fast forward so many years later, Leon, Leon Walters took my place and, and he won his first World Games uh uh, title or first world title at the time and then uh you know obviously fast forward you know a number of years he, he then goes and wins the 10k which i was i was promoting so uh st still kept within the sport and, and promoting yeah fantastic uh, um so i mean that's quite a you know an expansive uh, progression and big timeline there if i could take you you back you're part of this amazing club, like you said, you know, one of the, the top clubs in the world at that time. Um, was there was there someone particular or an experience or an event that led you to deciding to you know, commit towards being a high level fighter? Because obviously you can be part of a club like that. You can be a good fighter. You don't necessarily go on then to you know, reach the, the higher levels of uh, competitive karate. Was there any people in particular that, you know, uh, affected you? Uh, wow, that's, that's a good question. There was loads of people that affected me, you know, uh, from, I mean, it, it'd, be, it'd be wrong of me to list the people because I'd, I'd probably forget some, you know, but every, every, everybody, everybody in that club, you know, whether they was a club fighter or, or an international fighter, Every, everybody uh, was competitive within that club and that session of, uh, you know, whatever night of the week it was. So uh, I would say everybody within that club uh, w was influential on me becoming, uh, first of all, a national, you know, national champion, British champion, and, and then obviously international competitor. Uh, it was very much of a, a club you know it, it, it was what it says on the tin it was a everybody went there and felt part of a, a family and a community uh because there's so many people and, and so many great athletes which have come out of that club it'd be wrong of me to to highlight certain ones right you know above other ones because i'm i'm bound to to forget and, and there were so many great athletes what come out of there uh I think Tiki Donovan, you know, had a had a way about him of uh, 
you know to switch people on and to to give them a a, a competitive mentality as you say some people that's for and some people it's not maybe the ones that it wasn't for they was more more just 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 club fighters and then obviously the guys and and girls females which which wanted it more than went on to a a national and international level Uh, every everyone in that club was inspirational even say even you know the, the club fighters were still were still good competitors yeah. There was so much depth in the club. Uh, so you didn't have much of a choice, really. It was like, you know, you, you had to get stuck in. Yeah. Awesome. Um, just in terms... I mean, when, 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 when I, when, sorry, Ben, when I, when I think back, there's like... Uh, just, just to give people an understanding on the depth and the quality of the club, I think, you know... There used to be probably an evening. There was probably four sessions. Yeah. Every evening, and each of them sessions would have between thirty and fifty people in each session. Wow. You know, that yeah, there's probably four, maybe five sessions a night. Yeah, four sessions. I think it used to start off four, four, four to six to seven. Yeah, there's maybe five sessions a night, and and each of them had, you know, as I say, between thirty and fifty people. So that, and and it was a small, uh, small club, small brick building in in uh, Barking Park in in East London, and uh, obviously the the sort of East London and Essex contingency used to go there, but it also used to attract people from all over the country, which used to travel to go and train at that club. Uh, and all over the world, you know, you know we regularly have uh, international competitors uh, would come, come. They was in the UK coming out to to see international athletes pop in, pop into the club. Yeah. You know, in Barking, in the middle of these, you know, it's quite sort you know, it's not the, the the greatest of places. You know, it's like a, a real sort of working class area and. Uh, a, a hut in the middle of a park but uh you know everyone it, you know it was known internationally so people people from all around the world used to pass through there on a, on a on a tuesday or thursday evening yeah yeah fantastic that's amazing um just um in terms of your own uh highlight as a karate um i spoke to paul newby a few weeks ago and you know, although he was a world champion, the thing he he talked about being a massive um, highlight for him, or the main was when when he actually made the team, like the men's team, after being sur- you know surrounded by those athletes and they were all winning medals and being selected, and he was never quite there. But then one day, you know, he, he made that team, and it was like the best thing in the world for him. Um, it, what would you say is your career highlight as a fighter? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the most memorable for me was actually getting my England badge uh, for my my first uh, junior Europeans because uh, like you, 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 I spent all my youth growing up seeing uh, like older you know seniors uh, and even then retired athletes walking around in England track suits 
So I always wanted that badge and that England tracksuit. And uh, I, I remember getting it. It was like, oh, wow, you know, that meant that meant a lot to me. That meant a real lot to me. And uh, it's quite quite a funny story, really, because uh, you know the, the England tracksuit was as I grew up was it was always something which I, I sort of looked at and it was like oh wow the, the England tracksuit's amazing you know yeah. and uh the year the year which I I got my England badge and got got an England tracksuit they actually changed the sponsorship and my first like I, I always see like the it was like a, a blue at the time I think the year before was like a a, a sort of sky blue and, and or navy blue fred perry tracksuit yeah. and and I, like i was in love with it because uh, you know all the, all the seniors was walking around in it and then the year i got selected for the europeans they changed the sponsor to quan and uh we ended up having like uh, uh it was almost like a turquoise and lilac tracksuit for the Euro <laughs> for the european championships nice so i was like i was i was i was devastated <laughs> i was devastated <laughs> but I, I was happy with, I, w I was happy with my badge I was really happy with my badge so yeah brilliant brilliant um Joseph so you got to that T-junction where you already said you needed to make a decision whether you're going to be a fighter um or you know go into business um what led you into mm -hmm. gave the idea that promotions and you know making uh combat art more popular with the public what, what kind of led you into that people have ideas all the time um but only a few people actually act on those ideas mm -hmm. uh i think it was a few things uh i i i done so when i was at school you know when you do your work experience uh my 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 father was very influential in my like in taking me to karate and me doing sport and he was always very supportive and uh where he see how much i liked i, I liked and enjoyed sport and also i think he recognized um the benefits of sport not only not only physical but you know the discipline and and the the, the structure which it can give your life uh, he, he said to me when coming to the end of leaving school and whatnot that you need to make sure you do something which you love yeah. and uh he he actually suggested to me you know why don't you you looking to do something in sport so uh everyone else was sort of talking about careers in school as i say you know at that time you know the print was a big thing you know you either go you go into the print or you go into uh you, you work for a newspaper or you know you work for the family business and uh my 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 parents worked for themselves they were they was greengrocers so i was from a, a real working class background yeah. uh and i i couldn't stand the greengrocers <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't i knew that i didn't want to work in a greengrocers for the rest of my life so uh my dad suggested sport and uh son who former world champion who was uh my training partner throughout gr growing up and my friend he actually started to work for the borough for redbridge borough within sports development and uh 
you know, I, I'd, I'd always, you know, we was very close and we spoke about, you know, what it was that he was doing. And uh, I got his boss together. And uh, he, his boss at the time was a gentleman called Barry Neville. And uh, Barry was, was like the head of sports development within, within the borough. And uh, he was very influential to Paul in terms of like guidance. And, and he also helped me uh, to be able to, to make decisions around working within sport. Because when you kind of mentioned you wanted to work in, in, in sport or sports management or sports development, at that time, like when I left school, it was 1989, it wasn't really, it wasn't really a career. Yeah. You know, like there, there was very few people working within, within that sector, whereas now it's, it's a different thing. So yeah. uh, he was very influential. So I'd done my... Uh, why I done work experience in a local leisure centre, and uh, I kind of I think I only got that because I I I was you know doing very well at karate, and then uh, I didn't do that well at school, and I, I went to college, and done like my like every person what what doesn't really do that well at school, you know, I decided to 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 switch on and and do well at college. So I done my BTEC in leisure management all time at college, and then went on to do it part time. But then when I went on to do it part time, uh, I got a, a YTS placement, a, a youth training scheme placement. Yeah. At the same leisure centre, what I done my work experience in, and uh, that leisure centre is uh, once did leisure centre. They there actually used to be a lot of uh, karate events held there, but their their martial arts space was really big. Like at the time, like they had, they had probably th two or three different karate clubs there. Uh, they had a Kenpo Jiu-Jitsu club there, mm -hmm. uh, and and they had you know a, a lot of real competitive clubs. What used to operate out of that leisure centre, yeah. And uh, be because there were so many different clubs, I, I see different people doing different events. Uh, you know, whether it was table tennis, netball, football, whatever. And uh, it kind of opened my eyes up to, you know, e events and, and, and sports development. Kind of, that and Barry Neville opened my eyes up to, you know, there's other stuff out there where you can work within sport. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to compete all your life you, you can still stay within sport and work within sport so yeah. uh yeah. That, that you know th there was a lot of a lot of uh a lot of education i was lucky to be educated by a few people around me and uh i, I kind of made that decision the, the injuries kind of led me to that decision you know yeah yeah um <clears throat> so i'm just looking at your uh your uh, screen and I can see the three on three uh, behind you. Could you tell us a little bit about that, that tournament, how that came about? You can. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was. Nineteen ninety seven. So that event, which Paul and I run in December of 1997, um, uh, so, so I'd, I'd left work that year 
and uh, started to work for myself in, in 1997. And uh, we, we, Paul and I discussed, like he, 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 was, he was working and then I, I, I started to do some stuff within, within football and Paul, Paul had been doing a lot of work within football as well. Uh, so Fighters Inc. actually comes from the gentleman I mentioned earlier, was, was a man called Barry Neville. Yeah. He, he left the borough and he went on to become, uh, and is one, still one of the biggest football agents in the country. Right. So he managed the likes of Teddy Sheringham, uh, Matthew Upson, uh, he still manages uh, Alan Pardew today. Uh, so he's he's been like a mentor for Paul and I over the years, and uh, he set up a company. Uh, first of all, it was Premier Sports Management, and then he, he he changed it to a company called Players Inc. So he was just working with football players, and it was Players Inc. So yeah. Paul and I decided that well, we like the sound of that. Why, why don't we become <laughs> Fighters Inc.? Yeah. So, so we, we 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 spoke to Barry and said, "Do you mind if we become like a sort of sister company, if you like?" And uh, and I, I think he'd probably had enough of us by then. He was like, "Yeah, do whatever you want." <laughs> so, <laughs> thing, yeah. like always bothering him, uh, you know, and trying to run ideas past him. And uh, so, yeah, ni- nineteen ninety seven is when that really started. And the three on three basically come around from. We want, I, I personally wanted to do something within karate mm-hmm. and I'd, I, I'd, I'd actually spent four, from 18 to 20, to 21 or 22, I, I worked for a charity called the London Federation of Boys Clubs, which is now the London Federation of Clubs for Young People. And uh, I was head of sports development, so I was quite young for that job. Yeah. And my job was to develop a sports a sports program for London, uh, for, for, for London youth. So part of that role, uh, I had to manage like the London representative football team. I had to manage the London feds, uh, boxing championships, which is one of the strongest events nationwide, uh, for boxing, uh, for amateur boxing, London athletics championships, so on and so forth. Many, many different events in a year. And, I, I always enjoyed the boxing event, obviously, because I'm from a, a combat sports background. Um, and there was nothing, there was nothing spectacular for, for karate uh, uh, about, in my opinion, you know. Everything was sports hall based and there was no shows, if you like, for karate. Yeah. I think that the, the nearest thing I see was a, a freestyle event in York Hall. Uh, you know, which was a number of years before uh, we, we've like uh, the, the likes of Alfie Lewis and Kevin Brewerton and, and, and all of them guys, Neville Ray. Uh, and, and the boxing, the boxing dinner shows was the inspiration behind Three on Three Karate Clash. So um, Karate Challenge, in, in fact, we called it, I think, at first. Uh, so that was where the inspiration come from. So uh, we, we put on a dinner show. We, we decided to put on a dinner show for karate, which had never been done before. So it was, it was a social gathering. We'd done it in December. So it become like a Christmas event. Yeah. Uh, six teams of, uh, of three and two leagues of three and the top team uh, from each league of three met in the final. And uh, that was our first event. 
uh, it was a sellout number one, and number two, nice. it was uh, it was actually televised on Sky Sports. Amazing. So we we managed to get it televised on Sky Sports, which cost us a fortune. <laughs> uh, but 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 we got the uh, we actually had the same production team as Match of the Day at the time come and film it. I mean, I know that the videos are still and the well now a few people transferred it to DVDs. But the you know the production level of that show is is like through the roof for that time, uh, yeah. and nothing had been done like it in karate. And I think we had about a three or four year role being on Sky Sports and. That kind of, you know, that was the, that was the our first baby, if you like, and that kind of opened the doors up to us for having different ideas and different concepts within the combat sports sector. Yeah, that's amazing. And it was the three on three. Did that lead you to the ten k? Yes, yeah. So the ten k was literally a progression uh, from the three on three uh, because there was. What it was that there was there's actually a lot of athletes like like the likes of well Paul New Paul Newby's club actually competed within the three on three and won it uh, a couple of years on the spin uh, they they had a great team with uh, uh, Paul Newby Kane Cannon and Craig Burke you know they had a very strong team uh, and they run it won it uh, a couple of years uh, but there was there was certain individuals what wanted to fight in the three, three on three. But they couldn't because they didn't have uh, they didn't have a three man team in their club. They was just individual athletes. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of the these athletes at the time saying, "Oh, why don't you do an individual event? Why don't you do an individual event?" And uh, what year was it? I've got the poster up over there. It's actually coming up to twenty years. It's uh, uh, August two thousand and two was the first ten k. Oh wow. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of spent about a year asking different, different athletes and, and that, what, you know, would you compete in something if there was prize money? Because we, we introduced prize money to the, the three-on-three. It was the first prize money in, in karate, like where the, where the winning team took, like, you know, a, a prize. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously you had to do something similar uh, for, for individuals, but I w- you know, we wanted to make it a bit more spectacular and uh, sort of played around with loads of different ideas and then come up with the concept of uh, of the 10K and getting some, some real good prize money involved. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that that went, uh, I think, our first first two or three years. I think maybe the first year went out on, on Sky... The first two years went out on Sky Sports and then I think we went on to Eurosport and... Uh, the actual, I think our third event uh, actually got higher ratings globally than the World Karate Championships on Eurosport. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it, ga- it gained a lot of momentum really quick. And uh, the first the first three years was like a roller coaster. Like, Wayne Otto won the first one. Leon Walters won the second one. And then Alexander Gurunov won, won the third one. So... Uh, it's had a, a constant thread that everybody that, that won the 10K uh, has either become a world champion or was a world champion. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, that was off the back of the three-on-three. That's amazing. And then we had that 
that gap, obviously, where I guess a lot of people thought they'd never see a 10K again, but then it came back in amazing style. Uh, yeah. Ago, and I've been to all of them. <laughs> They're fantastic. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know what? I don't, I don't know. I think it was, uh, it was actually a conversation with uh, Matt Price because, you know, we, we'd still, we still involved heavily with combat sports, uh, running different events. So we run the the, the semi expo. Uh, we've been involved with Glory London, with, with Bellator London, uh, the Combat and Strength Show. Uh, we, we also done. TV rights for arm wrestling. So we were still promoting and doing different TV events. And uh, I think it was at, at, the, at the Cine show and, and Matt, Matt Price was at some after party. I think he'd had a few beers, to be honest. <laughs> and he was, he was like, you need like to that. bring the 10, you need, you, you need to bring the 10 K back. And I was like, are you serious, Matt? Or, you know, he was like, no, I'm being deadly serious. And, you know, when, when Matt, when Matt talked serious, he talked serious. So I was like, yeah. Okay, and I think I may may have had a couple of brandies as well. I was like, you know what, we'll do it, <laughs> and that was it. No. That, that was, it was like uh, you know a drunken after party, and uh, I think a few months after, I was like, I think I may have, may have phoned him up and was like, you know what, let's have a a, a sober a sober chat, and uh, yeah, we decided to bring it back in in twenty seventeen. Yeah, uh, I think he, I think the, the influence behind that was that the fact that uh, there there was whispers that that karate was going to be you know come come into the Olympics. Yeah, uh, which, which what should should have been happening round about now, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, karate karate in the bark of the Olympics, and uh, and obviously Jordan had won. Jordan Thomas had won a world title. And uh, I started to kind of look at the, the younger athletes, what they was doing. And, uh, you know, went along to a few England uh, squad trainings and, and uh, national championships just to sort of gauge what was out there and what the atmosphere was like. Yeah. Because I think, I think to be honest, I think karate went through a very dark time where, you know, people wasn't getting the recognition. You know, there wasn't much energy in the sport. Uh, Every time I spoke to somebody from the sport, it was negative and it was quite down. And uh, it, it just seemed to be turning a corner. Now, it happens a lot in, in different sports, you know, like boxing went, like heavyweight boxing went for a dreadful time a few years ago, you know. If yeah. you look at heavyweight boxing now, it's alive, you know. They, you know, everyone's talking about it. But if you go back 10 years, it was, it was in the doldrums, you know. People wasn't interested. Yeah, you know, it was boring, and, and and the same the same had happened with karate, in, in my opinion. And uh, you know, I watched some of the, the the national championships, some of the the squads, and and I was really going along to look not just at the the talent, but also the personalities within the sport. And uh, you know, I sort of reconnected. You know, I'd known Jamal and Jordan from when they was children. Uh, you know, through 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 their fathers and through through the sport and. Uh, you know, got to see them, and then then the likes of Joe Kellaway and you, you know Jerome Brown, so, so on and so forth. And it was just like, you know what? They, these are actually a nice group of younger athletes. What I feel I could work with. Yeah. 
uh, and it wasn't just about uh, about the the competition. It was also about them and would they be interested and would they would they get behind it? Because they, you know, they could have easily turned around and said, "Oh no, we, we we're not interested." You know, we we do our national championships and we, we don't need it. So, but when when I kind of done my research and started to talk to the athletes, all of them wanted it, and all you know, most of them had had actually been to the events before and and spoke highly of it and i was i I was a bit blown away by it to be honest yeah and then once i started talking to different instructors everybody was like no you've got to this would be brilliant you know it'll kind of lift karate again and uh i I think it has and i think it did yeah absolutely i mean it provided a huge buzz you know in my circle of uh karate friends um, through my own clubs as well, uh, you know, we've we've been to all the shows since they they start come back. It's it's one of the the events we look forward to on the calendar, um, but it also provides a way for you know British karate to connect at one place because because the great thing about the ten k is you know you've got um, multinationals there, but you've also got a huge mixture of associations, even you know not just. EKF, but Shobukon associations as well, and it's a real melting pot for for people who are passionate about you know the sport. Um, and on top of that, provides athletes a chance to you know fund their their training. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, what, what a lot of people don't realise is even the athletes, which you know, thirty one athletes, what what don't walk away with ten thousand pound. They 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 have you know revenue opportunities to earn through ticket sales themselves. So, you know, even you know if you haven't walked away with the ten k, a lot of the athletes which have done good with ticket sales have walked away and are able to fund themselves with a couple of international trips. You know, through their ticket sales. Uh, but it is it is a melting pot and. Uh, as well as the event, I think that's important that uh, what you're saying, pe- people actually recognise that. And I know certain people within the in- industry appreciate that because it is a coming together for the sport. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that is probably what was missed just as much as the actual karate was the actual coming together as a, as one, as a sport. You know, whether you're, you know, you're, you know, you're from Kilmarnock in Scotland or you're from, from London or you're from Manchester, everyone comes together yeah. and has a, has a night out. And there's so many different generations who come to it, you know, past and present. It, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I suppose it's, uh, it, it, it's the natural event for everybody to come together and, you know, I, for one, appreciate that, and 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 I'm very proud that that is the case. Yeah, fantastic. And what are the um? Obviously, we've we've been thrown into this unbelievable scenario with COVID nineteen, and the world is locked down. Hopefully, we're going to be unlocking soon. But what are the plans for the 10k for 2020? Do we have a 10k, or are we looking for 2021? What's going on, Joe? Right, right now. As, as as we sit here today, what what is it? Ironically, we, we we're actually. I know this is going to go out later, but ironically, we're actually doing 
this on the 4th of July, the day which all the pubs open. So <laughs> it's ironic. <laughs> and all, all, all the different facilities open from lockdown. It's quite weird, that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the, the, t- today, I'm not sure. Uh, obviously, we will be back. But what, what we don't want to do is rush for a date and then the event is half-baked with an audience. Uh, we've also got to wait and see what the, uh, the national and the international international calendar is doing for karate yeah because there's no there's no point in us saying right we're going to do this and then that that's then when the next you know whatever championships is is scheduled for uh so we're not going to rush in we're going to take our time uh ideally me personally i'd like to do it this year uh you know the back end of this year uh if the calendar and if also the uh, uh, the government allow that allow that to happen, uh, because we we don't know you know where things are going to be yet with regards to the sort of numbers which we attract. Uh, I think f- for, from a, a promotional perspective, the, the numbers which we hit is like an awkward number. You know, if if it was a smaller show. It would be different. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, it depends what the government say and and how what guidelines they're going to be and when they they ease properly. And then you, you've also got the you've got all the events which have been cancelled from venues, and you, you're going to have a number of new events which want to come into venues. So there's yeah. obviously going to be a you know, and playing around with dates. Uh, so it's, it's, it's going to be a very interesting time for the, the events industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, we're going we're gonna to wrap up in a minute just because we're, we're running out of time. But um, so we've got a couple of questions. One is, how do you see uh, the sport of Kumite today? Um, what do you believe could help the sport grow and flourish, um, you know, and develop? As, as, a, as a competitor? Yeah, I think as a, as, as, a, as a competitor. I think really for, you know, for the com- competitive side to, to grow, you know, we need that interest from the public in it as well. Um, and obviously you, you've been in both sides of it. Um, is it, do you feel it's more important that we, we focus on developing our athletes right now or finding ways to bring the public into the sport? No, I think we should be, we should be really focusing on, uh, the youth and developing them as athletes and also providing more opportunity and exciting opportunities for them youth to stay in the sport. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you, you run, you run your clubs, Ben, you, you could probably give me, you know, better statistics on how much dropout there is from youth with karate. Yeah. Why is that? That's what I'd be questioning. You know, if I was the, you know, the chairman of the EKF or, you know, the British Karate Federation, I think I think the sport has got a problem there because if you're a parent 
you know, listen, no, nothing, nothing's changed since, you know, I'm 46 now. Nothing's changed since when I was competing, you know, 30 odd years ago. Why I made a decision to either continue with karate for nothing, for no money, for no, just, just for a trophy or a title. Uh, and and I, I chose to work and de- develop, develop my own career with, within sport, not, not just, not just, not just, Karate, but there's so many other options now. You know whether you know you you know you're you're playing your bloody gaming. You know you can yeah. <laughs> you you can you can go and get more more professionalism with playing a computer game than you can uh, a traditional sport which is hundreds and hundreds of years old. Yeah. So uh, I I think we we need to as a sport need to look at the youth and how we keep them engaged with the sport, which we all love. Number one, and, and number two, create more of an, more exciting events and opportunities for them to stay in the sport and create that depth again of, of competition. Uh, you know, you know, forgive me for saying, but when, when I was competing and when, two generations before me was competing there was more depth in the sport there was more competition there isn't as much competition now you know uh for people to win their place to get to get a a badge and that's because the the participation uh numbers at at that international level are lower you know there's not as many uh, as many people you know athletes out there they're doing it so For, for me, that's what it is. You know, the youth, the sport, give them more opportunities and more competition within the sport to want to want to stay in it, and and also, you know, develop more opportunity, more commercial opportunity for them. There's no commercial opportunity, you know, for for athletes within the sport. I mean, yes, it would be lovely to 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 win an Olympic medal in the sport, but actually, what what where is that going to get you? Yeah, there's going to be commercial opportunities after that. Yes, there'll be commercial opportunities after that, and and, and that's there isn't really commercial opportunities after when you win the world title or, or European title. So I, I understand that the, the the strength of the Olympics is, you know, it's like as I say, once in a lifetime uh, op- opportunity right now, and for the, for the for the guys and girls who are trying to get there, you know, hopefully, you know, one of the British athletes or a couple of the British athletes do get there. But uh, that, that, that's where I see the problem. Sorry to go on a rant there. It's just, no, it's great. I feel quite passionately, yeah, yeah. I feel quite passionate about that. And, and uh, I, I, I've sat on the sideline for years and watched and watched and watched and uh, haven't really been vocal about that and it's quite frustrating when I sit and watch and see that that nothing's being done nothing's being done you you think of the thousands or tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of kids youth which have left our sport because there there is no no end game there's no there's nothing there to keep them in the sport yeah yeah I totally agree you know one of the 
one of the things Kimite Coach wants to do is provide provide some sort of funding or foundation for the youth fighters coming up in the sport so they can get that access to funds that's going to allow them to compete abroad, allow them to compete more regularly around the UK because it's obviously expensive traveling, it's expensive entering these tournaments. Um, and you're competing with countries who have full-time fighters in a lot of instances. So, um, yeah, and I, I yeah. share your opinion greatly. Well, I, I think that, you know, what you what you guys are doing with, with, with Kumite Coach and, and look, looking to help fund things is, is amazing. Uh, and I think the right timing, you know, with, with this disaster with COVID, it's actually been amazing time timing for you guys because so many so so many more people are doing stuff online. Yeah. You know, not only with karate, but you know, with, with the whole of fitness. You know, every, you know, you know, where, you know whether you're you know whatever sport you're doing. You know, there's more online activity, so it's yeah. great timing for for you guys. And uh, I think you know could potentially be a be a change within within the sport with online coaching. What it highlighted to me, though, Ben, is looking at some of the coaching. Well, how poor some of the coaching is. I know, I know the coaching which you guys have, have got online is, is amazing and is you know is a class. But yeah. also, I, I think not just within karate, in a lot of martial arts, uh, because I, I work within generically within within combat sports and, and fitness. It's just highlighted how shocking some of the standards uh, of, of coaching really are, mm -hmm. yeah. which can only be a good thing for you. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, Joe. Joe, we're gonna have to end it there. Um, but I, I think so. I, yeah, yeah. I think so. I've, it's been. I've really enjoyed this interview. It's been fantastic. Um, thank you so much for being on our podcast look forward to going out and as having you again to chat further about all the things you're up to um thanks for your time today no no worries and, and thank you ben for also uh i i know it, it's been a, been a tough time for for us and for you but also wanted to thank you guys for coming on board with uh you one of our sponsors at the 10k and uh, we look we look forward to uh, having you back when you know when when we when we go again. So thanks for your uh, support towards the event, uh, which which has actually made it easier for us throughout this time because uh, we you know we've uh, it was it was a, a killer for us to have to cancel the event and, and, it, and it has been. So uh, look forward to seeing Kumite Coach you know when we when we're live with the event. Yeah, fantastic. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks for your time. Was